Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. I'm sitting down with my sister, Soroka. And I'm sitting down with my brother, Aaron. We are a bit late with this month's uh, podcast. Apologies about that. Look, we're in a office. We're getting our stuff together. We're not even yeah. in an office. We're in a shed office. Yeah, and listen, stop. Don't, don't denigrate my shed office. This it's a great, great office. It has sound... Uh, Keepable, inable uh, material all around us. Anyway, uh, we're late. The point is, we were late. We're late. We're late, and the word is insulation. Anyway, um, so we are a little bit late because we've been pretty busy. We've got loads of stuff on. Been mad busy. We've had so much on. Oh my god, we've loads more on. Now we won't bore you with the details because this podcast is all about telling stories to listeners who wants to hear a story going into work or out of work or on to sleep, whatever you want to do with these stories yourself. So we're determined to make this a story and not a marketing pitch for our shows. That said, keep up to date with what we're doing. We have loads of stuff coming on in Puka Festival up in Meath and Louth in November. We're in Westville as well, which is going to be great. We have a great mm-hmm. gig down in Cork coming up in October as well. Loads of stuff to be talking about. So keep up to date with us on Facebook or uh, if you want to join our mail campaign, you can drop us an email as well. Absolutely. And yeah, the the reason that we're kind of having, I guess, a little bit of difficulty with keeping up with the podcast schedule is just as we are currently doing this pretty much for free. And full time, really. We're doing yeah. everything full time. We're doing it full time. So it's it's just kind of a case of trying to find a balance uh, between work that pays and work that we're passionate about. And unfortunately, at the moment, if stuff comes up that is a paid gig we kind of have to prioritise that so basically it's just hard to prioritise making these podcasts but we want to and we want to make sure we get ones out we want to aim for getting a weekly one out and we're looking forward that's the goal we're looking forward to doing something very special in November where we do a five part series so tune in then we'll be on about it again We'll be telling the tone over five parts, which we did exactly five years ago, which is very exciting. Which, which we'll tell you about closer to the time. It'll be very exciting. But anyway. let's, yeah, it's basically if you wanna if you wanna help us out to get those more regular podcasts, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. Forward slash candlelit tales. You can also type in candlelit bleh into Google, <laughs> and you'll probably find the podcast. Listen. That's all this is, is Candle 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 So if you like more Candle Le Bleu, uh, please tune in. We are very excited about this month's podcast. This story specifically is one of my favourites. Yeah, and I get to fight with Aaron about it. Well, that's not the most important thing. Yes, it is. But there it's was the most important thing to me. Kind of a special reason I wanted to tell you this story. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll find out. Aaron, Aaron, just if it's not a, if it's not an oxymoron. Shut up and tell us the story. (laughs) There was once a fisherman who lived by the sea in the north of Ireland. He was always happy when he was looking out at the waves. Although it often made him sad as well. His mother had told him as a child all of the stories of the sea people, the great kelpies, the horse that would run over the waves and become a man and lure beautiful women to their death and drown them, steal them away. Or the fear derrig, the little fat red men, like fat rats they were, might come out 
at night and steal people away as well. She told him stories of the Merrows as well, the sharp-teethed Merrow folk who sang to sailors, sang them to lure them into the seas so they could drown them down and eat their flesh. She told him all about Mananon MacLear, the king of the sea, the god of the ocean, the son of the ocean himself, that great primordial god that was older than the rest of the Tua de Danon, the people of the goddess Danu. He had the power of the sea in his hand as he wielded the great sword Fragrach, the answerer, and rode the great maned horse Enfar over the waves, leaping and jumping across waves as tall as cliffs and riding as if over a field of barley, jumping through the waters. But of all the stories of the sea, this fisherman used to love asking his mother about the Selkies. You see, as a young woman, she told him, she'd been very alone and very sad and often would go to a small bay and sing her sorrow to the sea. And the sea, she felt, would sing back to her in a way no one else would ever do. Then she went one night the bay and she sang her sorrowful song to the sea and she wept three tears that dropped off the rock she was leaning over and landed into the sea her salt and the tears mixing with the salt in the sea then she looked up and she had seen the head of a seal with bright black eyes peering at her The moonlight glimmered over the waves and when she looked back she saw a tall man standing there with rippling muscles, dark skin, darker hair and jet black eyes. His mother had loved to tell him this story although she never mentioned much about who his father was. People in the town would often comment on the fisherman's dark hair, dark skin, and dark eyes, but he never paid any heed to what people talked about. He only cared for his family, and when his wife died, he went to the sea. He was sad looking out at the waves, but somehow he also felt held in the great dark expanse and when he was walking along the coast one night he saw and couldn't believe his eyes a woman dancing in the bright shimmering light of the stars and moon above she was moving with such grace he could not believe it and on the ground he saw her silky skin the skin she would have to put on then jump back into the sea and return into her seal form the man thought of his children and how they needed a mother and how he needed a partner and so he grabbed the silky skin and kept it with him he walked towards the woman 
and she now knowing that he had her silky skin fell to her knees. He told her he would take her as his wife if she would let him. She responded that this was the way it must be now that he had her silky skin. He tried to reassure her that he would love her utterly and completely from that moment forward. She was one of the most beautiful women he'd ever seen. Her skin seemed like ivy. Her dark hair fell around her shoulders and her deep, dark eyes penetrated his and seemed to have the wealth of sadness that the ocean held in its depths as well. But she came back to his home and when she saw his two beautiful children, a young girl and a young boy, she poured her heart into the caring of them and she was a beautiful mother for them and she sang them to sleep that first night. When the fisherman woke up the following day, house was cleaned like it had never been cleaned before. He swore he could see his reflection in the door. She cooked him meals and he was amazed at her grace and her beauty and her poise. And often times the house was filled with so much laughter it seemed to near break the windows. But after a while the fisherman could see the dark rings around the woman's eyes were returning every month when the moon was bright and gleaming off the sea she would go and sing sad songs to the ocean around her he knew she wanted to go back to the ocean but he had her silky cloak and she could not go back without it he knew he had her held captive. So one night, when she was singing her sad song, though it broke his heart, he walked towards her and offered her her silky cloak, saying if she really wanted to go, she should be allowed to go. He looked back the house where the two children were sleeping now soundly and hoping he might convince her with one last plea he saw that she had taken the silky skin and wrapped it around her and leapt off the great rock and dove into the ocean changing form into the seal that she was before he had ever met her in this form she moved so quickly and fast around the sea waves she at last came up and he could see her head she ducked back down beneath the waves and he always stayed watching the waves watching and waiting if he might catch a glimpse of the selkie that might return to his shore. He would watch and he would wait as his children grew and grew up and went and left their home. And often times he'd be vacant when his children visited him, simply looking out at the ocean, wishing to catch a glimpse of his selkie. One day when the children came back, was no one in the house 
There was no one around, and no one had heard a sound or a sight of the fisherman anymore. Some people say he dove into the sea to drown his sorrows. But some people say that his selkie returned to him when she had made him a cloak of his own. And so he joined her in the deep, dark sea, swimming around Ireland forever. I like I like what you did with that story. That Thank was a you. bit of a a reinvention. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess it was. There's a lot of different sources on on Selkie stories, so it was nice to just, I guess, take a few ingredients and make it into that Candlelit Tales narrative. I guess because this is a conversation that we've had a couple of times in Candlelit Tales in terms of like folk tale mythology, what the difference is, where we draw the line, but. You wanted to tell the Selkie story particularly <laughs> for a particular reason, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. <laughs> Go on, so why, why, why now? Why Selkies? Okay, so to answer this, I guess I got to give a little bit of frame of reference. Uh, Bill Murray took me swimming in April of 2019 and it was cold as hell, but it was engaging and I just got addicted to swimming in the sea. So I've been swimming in the sea, you know, as much as I can this year. And I've just been going down wherever I can. I just have the tog and the towel and I jump in. So I went down to uh, Killiney Beach. <coughs> Excuse me. And I, I got in and swimming for about 10, 15 minutes, just down towards Bray Head there. And uh, I, you know, I was just enjoying the swim. And, well, a seal popped up really close to me. And, like, as close as a, a width of a car, let's say, a meter or so, and uh, I was just like that. There's a, there's a seal, and my brain started to almost tell this story. You know, like I can't wait yeah. to tell someone I, I saw a seal this close. And so anyway, I, I swam a bit more. He popped around on the other side of me, and I was like, okay, this seal is not actually going away. Um, yeah. Like I wonder what's going to happen. So I swam back the way, and I was going slower because it was against the tide. And this seal basically played hide and go seek. He just started popping up and, and having a look at me and then I'd, I'd sense him close and then it, and like it was amazing because he even brushed my feet and I got a little bit of a chill of like, oh well, dear. When you're in the ocean and something brushes your feet, that's not a terribly comfortable feeling. And I was in his domain, you know. Mm-hmm. And or hers, I'm actually really not sure. It was bigger than me and her his head was bigger. And I opened my eyes under the water to have a look and it's just, he moved so gracefully mm. under the water. I could see the belly um, kind of grey and it just, it swam so smoothly and slick. And then as if it was just like laughing at me, kind of on his back, put it, poked his nose out of the, out of the, out of the sea and it was just kind of, you know, breathing, <laughs> looking at me going, is this as fast as you can go? You absolutely useless fecker. Like, so I could just keep on swimming just with a grin on my face, like just kind of taking it all in. And when he brushed my feet again, I just kind of had a mental kind of going, okay, he's like a dog. If I, yeah. like seals have been known to, to bite people, but so have dogs. So I was like, okay, don't act aggressively, just be sound. 
and you know I kind of pop my eyes open again underneath the water if he brushed my legs and, and see him swimming away like just like a dog would when he comes up to you so I was just I was just fascinated when he came up to me again you know I saw the big eyelashes of him like huge really mm. dark eyes really features that's like a face mm. and I was I was getting cold and I was in the water for half an hour at this stage and as I was walking out waist high I kind of looked back and I was wondering where he was and I, I swear to God, he looked up and he splashed his fin back and he waved goodbye. Like, no. And he popped into the water. And as it was getting changed, I was looking at the water and he did not uh, he didn't come, back come back up. He saw you get out. Yeah. He was like, all right, playtime over. Playtime over. Oh, fuck off and get some food now. Yeah. Nice yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that was... like, that's such a cool encounter. Yeah. Like, and that's such a, you know... For those who don't know, the Irish Sea is quite cold to swim in, even late, even kind of in the summer. Yeah, it's, even it's, a, <laughs> it's it's a cold sea, so uh, you don't stay in for very long. But like, yeah, seals can be they're so they can be so playful, oh, they're, and, and they're it's just such a lovely gorgeous. kind of engagement to have with a wild thing. So of course, I've been obsessed. I've been looking up. I've been calling it my swim with the selkie, like totally. You know, because I can really see the the human characteristics and aspects and personalities that I would project upon it and yeah. you know, having the game having the you know even even thinking how slow well, I'm like going like the playfulness of animals like I think when you see that kind of playfulness in an animal it really makes us or really makes me kind of rethink how we define humanity mm-hmm. because there's something about like that kind of sense of humour and I'm sure some people could argue that it's 100% projection, but I think emotionally we know that it's not. Yeah. I, I, you know, that, that, that when and when there's a non-human creature that's engaging with you on an emotional, joyful level like that, it's really gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's really gorgeous to be open to it. So I wanted um, the, the, the funny thing, because I was kind of like, basically, the thing is, right, We've had this kind of conversation in Candlelit Tales a couple of times about sort of mythology versus folklore. Right. And we've generally, like, just for listeners who haven't overheard all of those conversations to date. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully they haven't. Well, like, you know, we're told we're quite entertaining when we argue. Um, Choose your own horn there, boy, don't you? Not not everybody has listened in on all of those conversations. A lot of the other guys in Candlelit Tales have or have been part of them. Um, and what we kind of came down on about a year or two ago was like to to stop telling folk tales as much and to stick with the mythology more. Yeah. So it was kind of funny to me because Aaron sent me a message saying like I really want to tell a selkie story on the podcast. Like, can I? <laughs> and of course, this was after he told me the story of his swim with the selkie. And so I was like, well, you fucker, I can't say no now, like, because. I'm hesitant to use the word um, superstition. Right. But I definitely have a respect mm-hmm. for the other world, mm-hmm. um, which I think is healthy. I think Absolutely. it's I think it's good to have. I was up at uh, Lock Crew this summer with a group of students from California Polytechnic and one of them sat in the Kylux chair. And I kind of, yeah, I was like, ooh, Jesus. careful now. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't presume um, and, and he was the one got pulled up to do Irish dancing that evening mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would not have you about it. So like there's there's definitely a part of me that's like, you know, belief is a strong word, is a strong word. Sure. But at the same time, I would not refuse a Selkie story after an encounter with the Selkie mm-hmm. because 
that would be disrespectful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of whatever is going on there. So I actually initially my reaction was like, for fuck's sake, talk about pulling rank. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like, I guess we know again, we've defined ourselves as a, a <clears throat> as a storytelling troupe that, that specialises or, you know, retells Irish mythology and, and focuses yeah. is, focuses in on the deeper ingrained stories that have lasted in a culture. And that's the mythology and the mythos of, of a culture. Mm. Folk tales have a, have a unique a separate identity to myths. Yes, but there's there's also quite a considerable overlap, and there Absolutely. are there are myths that are folky, and there are folk stories that have very deep kind of resonances and meanings to them. So it's kind of, um, yeah. What I ended up landing on after after my initial reaction of fuck's sake was, uh, well, let's let's argue that out on the podcast yeah like let's actually have this discussion and let's involve the listeners absolutely in terms of saying like okay so these are these are folk tales we're going to talk about some of the kind of themes in the selkie story that we'd see we're going to talk about some of the differences and how like because it's it's a it's a gray area isn't it to define it is it is but we'll talk that out a little bit and then i kind of want to hear from people listening to the podcast yeah like if you like folktales, let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like sticking to mythology, let us know. If you like both, let us know. And thank you for those of you who have been in touch of late. It's actually really, really encouraging what people have been saying and, and getting in touch with. So uh, just thank you for touching base with us because it does mean a lot. And I guess what I did with this story, again... Like I love telling stories and I love compiling mm. them and I love listening to other tellers. And these are, you know, between them, you know, in around, I listen to a lot of British oil stories. I listen mm. to and read stories from Scotland because there's an awful lot of Sel- Selkie and Merrow stories yeah. in, well, based in Scotland. The, strictly speaking, the Selkie <coughs> story is a Scottish story. Like, if mm. you wanted to be, if you wanted to be strict about it, which, you know, we don't, because obviously Aaron met an Irish Selkie. So, Absolutely. you know, again, Bit of respect. Um, but strictly speaking, the, the the tradition comes from, I think, the Orkney Islands and the Shetland Islands in Scotland. Right. Is That's where the Selkie story originates from. But there's versions of this all over the world. And there like is. the Irish version of it is more the Merrow or the, the Vaidenvara, which is the, the woman of the sea. Yeah. And then you also get, I don't know if it's a Native American or an American one, but I've heard one, uh, There's there's a crane wife. Uh, in fact, there was a band called the Decembers that made an album about the Crane Wife, which is again, yeah. it's a silky type story. Well, there's there's an African version as well. Actually, one of the guys um, in the Direct Vision group that was uh, doing this land, they were talking about the um, uh, basically a, a, a seal silky story. It was you know what, going to the cliffs in Africa, seeing uh, these seals and um, jumping in and enjoying them. So it was very, you know, going so away with that. There you go. Like there's there's versions of that story in a lot of different cultures. And I think that that's, yeah, that's interesting. But tell us more about how you decided to construct this. Because, I mean, so the general form of it yeah. is man sees beautiful woman of the sea, mm-hmm. whether she's a crane or a selkie or a merrow. She has some object that allows her to transform or to breathe under the water or to fly away, which he steals and hides from her. Mm-hmm. And in some versions of the stories, he tries to destroy it, mm-hmm. which usually ends up killing her. 
Uh, they have many years of happy marriage and lots of kids. She's an ideal wife. And then one day she finds the artifact and she is gone without a backward glance. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's the pattern of the story. So, again, I guess the reason I was so drawn to the Selkie story, obviously I've had a recent experience uh, of swimming with a Selkie, which helps. But I've always been, it's always pulled on a cord maybe. And uh, the Song of the Sea was a beautiful way of constructing that story into into an Irish kind of narrative as well, which is a beautiful uh, animation by Cartoon Saloon, which I have, you know, watched and cried at lots of times. Uh, I'm a crier, I'm a crier. But, um, but, in, but it's so, you know, there, I think it, it does resonate with something because it, it has that explore into the wildness, go into nature, go into the vast, vast ocean, which is timeless. So this feeling has been timeless and you're kind of resonating with something there anyway. And the seals are those those guys that come on land and and play in the sea mm. and they just have that little bit of crossover. Well, they're 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 already magical because they're liminal because they cross borders. Absolutely. And any creature that crosses borders like that is 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 kind of mythically, symbolically important, one way or another. You know. <laughs> and and so you know, me being me, I just listened to loads of uh, uh, stories on YouTube, and I I, I read a rake of them online last night uh, as well, and uh, just to kind of to get my head around it as well, just to kind of look at the all the crossovers, and. You know, there was, there's a beautiful, like, Tail Foundation talk about, you know... Tail Foundry? Tail, tail Foundry, sorry. Yeah. Hashtag make stuff up. You <laughs> yeah, know, or yeah, keep, yeah. keep making stuff up. They have a great series on Irish mythology on their uh, YouTube channel. Hmm. Uh, and looking at the kind of gaps in Irish mythology, the wide open spaces, which yeah. is really nice. But like this idea of keep making stuff up is like, that's all that storytellers are doing, is like, you're just joining dots. And so, I kind of, st- I stuck the... Uh, a story about a woman because there's male and female selkies and there's male and female meros and there's the meros seem to be darker and vicious and lure you off and might might well maybe meros and mermaids um are a little bit carnivorous they can mm. be a little bit wilder they there was a funny thing in the irish tradition where the the male meros are quite ugly looking <laughs> uh, but can be can be quite fond of the drink so they've got little red eyes and piggy noses but like they they'd be good company if you can get them drunk if you've enough drink to get them drunk because they have a high tolerance. But the female marrows are quite beautiful, mm. which is why the female marrows will often, you know, fall for a fisherman because the fisherman is better looking than whatever's in the sea. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit of an upgrade. like. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the, this whole idea of, you know, the Lady of Galaris, this, um, these, these stories where a fisherman will see a beautiful woman steal her uh, the selkie skin or the selkie cap as they call it in Scotland and keep it and hide it and then mm-hmm. she's she's their wife and she's good at cooking and keep looking after the kids mm-hmm. and she's famous for being a really good housewife but the wildness is always in her you know and so yeah. if she ever finds it finds the cap she fecks off and she's gone which I think like to me that's what's fascinating about this this folklore type yeah. particularly this this set of stories that's around in a lot of different cultures that is talking about, you know, wild women. And I think it's really interesting, like, in our culture, in a lot of cultures today, it is sort of assumed that the highest love that any woman can have is for her children. And you have this whole body of folklore that's going, well, not necessarily. There are women 
for whom there is a higher love. And for me, that like that says something really profound about like whether that love is for freedom or for themselves or for, you know, something deeper. It is enough to pull them completely away. Hmm. And it is enough for that wildness to just come right back out. And like there's no version. We talked about many versions, but there is no version of this story where she stays with him and they die of old no, age. Is absolutely there? Absolutely not. No, like it. It is. It is only ever a temporary situation. There are versions where he joins her in the sea. Sometimes, or the some yeah. say, uh, and that that just again goes to that evocative escapism that we all have, going back into the oil, going back into the sea. Yeah. You know, get releasing yourself from the human condition and the human mind, and going into the the going the into of, of, going into an, a, a shape shift and going yeah. into a different form. And actually, it, that. That type of story, that type of ending reminds me of the Angus Oak story, Absolutely, which yeah. we told way back in episode whatever the heck it was. Um, <laughs> you know, that there's there's that's a story of him going to meet her where she is. Yeah. Rather than trying to pull her out into where she doesn't want to be, because there's also something about like, you know, a seal can't live on dry land. And, and wildness can't exist in a domestic setting, you know. And you know, Richard Thompson's Bees Wing. Uh, yes. Let's just take it clear. You know, it's Richard Thompson's. <laughs> yeah, it was covered by several people, but it, it's Richard Thompson's song. He wrote it. Uh, yeah, it's a gorgeous. It's a gorgeous song. Um, look it up if you if you're not familiar with it. But it's it's a song about again that type of woman yeah, yeah. who is not interested in domesticity. And in the case of that song, she just outright refuses him and yeah. says, you know, a nice little bit of land and babies on the rug sounds like hell. I'm staying wild. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the, I guess, the the draw always is to try and domesticate wildness. You know, we try and do that. We try and put mm. fences around wild areas and keep it. And, and it just makes sense sometimes. We were drawn to try and have some kind of form of, of wildness in our life but we need to keep keep it kind of nice and calm and relaxed we can't go full native like <laughs> well also I think there's something there again for me it comes back to a bit of respect yeah like you know you had that beautiful moment of play with that seal how cool would it be if you could have a pet seal that goes swimming with you every time you go down yeah but then you're on one level, wonderful, but on another level, it's not your seal anymore. Then, free Willy, <laughs> free Willy. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's that's. I think that impulse to possess something wild and beautiful is something that we kind of, as human beings, have to be a bit careful of, mm. because we can and we have divided up the world and fenced it all in, um, and in some ways, you know, the most beautiful places that are left to us. I was up at the Giant's Causeway recently, which is a beautiful, wild place. But part of the reason for its beauty is there's no building there. You know, there's a there's a kind of a visitor centre, but when you actually go out to the place, oh yeah, there's nothing built there, but it's because you can't build on that. Because, you know, the wild places, and you think of, like, deserts, and you think of mountaintops, and you think of, like, deep, dark forests, the wild places are the places that are hostile to us. Yeah. They're actually the places that we can't live. Mm-hmm. And there's something about there about the, the, the kind of incompatibility of human civilization with wildness. Oh, yeah. And, and how that stirs a kind of a poignancy and a grief 
Yes, there is a certain like, n- n- yeah, a sadness to that, but also great eu- euphoria in kind of like seeing this beautiful seal in his domain. As I just as I was thinking, I was doing great with my swimming. Realize how <laughs> crap I am designed. There's nothing makes you feel more like a big lumbering ox oh, man. than seeing a, a sea creature in its actual habitat while we are just splashing around there like a big naked gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't fully naked, wasn't it? Yeah, well, like hair, hairless naked. You know what I mean? Like, so this is where I'm kind of like conflicted a little bit because for me, mythology and, and folktales are, are very, they're different classes. And I guess we found out kind of, you know, our own sewing time and for Halloween here, we, we did a number of years where we just, just did folktales because mm. then you have the puka story, then you have the, the stories of the animals, the headless horsemen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of these, these stories the, of... The vampire, the, whatever, what is she again? Uh, the Jaragdu. Jaragdu, yeah. And, and we have these, all these amazing kind of creatures and monsters bump in the night type folk tales and, and the fairies stealing people away and all that kind of stuff and they were superstitions they kept superstitions alive in Ireland they lasted a very long time to kind of keep a level of magic in the realm of, of before everything became scientific and yeah yeah Google. the realm of the everyday yeah um, and they're always changing folk tales are always kind of alive and yeah. they're kind of molding and, and re- being recreated in the last 100 years, maybe less so. I would say a lot less so. Ah, no. I think anybody who tells a folktale tells it and makes it their own. Yes. And I think that that's, that is one of the great things about them. And like we use folktales when we're teaching storytelling to people as well. Mm. Because it's the case of like, here is the story of uh, the King of Cats. Yes. Now tell it back to me your own way. Hashtag we teach storytelling. Yeah, yeah, just in case anybody's interested in learning how to be a storyteller. Um, drop us a line. Um, but, yeah, mention our podcast for a discount. Sorry, just kidding. Um, but we, they, because they're so malleable, because they are adaptable in that way, because you can put yourself into a folktale yeah. and say, this happened to me. But you know what I noticed when we did all those stories at Samhain? Yeah. Nobody was crying. No. Nobody was crying by the end of the show. And to me that, like, okay, that says a lot about me well, as a storyteller. The, also the raucous laughter w- wasn't overly there. The, like, the, the emotionality yeah. was dialed down. It was muted. Yeah. And I think, like, for me, the reason for that and where I draw the distinction is that in mythology, you have personalities. Yeah. And you have very complex, interesting characters who have these great depth of depth of personality oh, they're archetypes they're huge yeah, they're no. huge and they're and they're they're not black and white they are complex characters sometimes they do good stuff sometimes they do terrible stuff and it can come from the same person and they have yeah it's it's the character and and the personality that makes the difference for me because in folk tales Actually, before, Your hero is... Before you tell that, can you just explain to me and to our listener what an archetype is, like a cultural archetype? I think we've gone through this before, but it's an idea from uh, Jung uh, and kind of Jungian analysts would still use it, that there is a collective unconscious in, in humanity, that there is a way that we have of seeing the world and that there are certain things that are common to us. 
So archetypal personalities from mythology being one of those. Now, this is disputed. Yeah. But, and it might not be, you know, his explanation might not be exactly accurate. But for me, it's something that, that is resonant across different cultures. Like if you look at the archetype of the hero, the one who goes out there and like wins the day. Every culture has a hero. The hero will look different and the hero will behave differently. And some of them are more collaborative and some of them are more individualistic and some of them are strong but and others are clever. Yeah, and that'll all depend. Hercules or you've Kukulin or you've, um, what's your man, Troy, uh, Achilles. Achilles. Yeah. Well, they're all kind of from the same area of the world, really. But you've, you have, you know, yeah, they're all European. Well, I mentioned, yeah, true. Kukulin <laughs> is in, in Greece or Rome. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> They're, they're, they're pretty I just don't know the names of the Asian lads or the African ones or the South American ones but there's definitely those ones there well, well. do you know what the actual the oldest one is the trickster archetype everybody okay. has a trickster Okay. we have Manon McLear the Native Americans have Coyote um, you have lots of you know you have the trickster archetypes um, I can't remember the name of the Japanese one but I remember it. I, I looked up a story about him before um, so you have these you have these characters and you have they kind of are, are patterns. And it might just be that the human mind has a way of seeing things and we tend to organize information into stories and we tend to organize to organize it into different story patterns and types. But whatever it is, there is a connect there's a kind of a connectivity and a depth to mythology that I don't find is there with folktale. Yeah, because which is why I'm more ambivalent yeah, about doing them. Because for me again, what happens in in folk tales is the what and the when, and but not the who. You know, yeah. not not about the the actual character. You'll also get a lot of where. Yeah, you'll get a lot of emphasis on place mm-hmm. because in a lot of folk tales, it's very important that it it happened here, or it happened around the corner from here, because a lot of them are very very and, localized. And not so long ago, and my mother said this, and. You know, this kind of yep. thing, like in your locales. There was a man in this area and this was his name. Like, they're very localised and they're very specific in version, but actually the story of them is all, all around the world. Like, you'll find that Selkie story that absolutely happened right here, but one with a tiny variation happened absolutely right there. And so on all around the world. So that's why I have an ambivalence around telling folktales. Yeah. Because I think it's a different thing. Yeah. And like, you know, your construction of essentially an original Selkie story, which we just heard, is again different from what we do with the myths. No, not completely. Because we do play with the myths and we find different ways of telling them. But we don't invent to the same degree. True. And you can't stick a start on to like what we do with the myths is we make no we we take leaps and we we put in stepping stones, but we we generally join dots yeah. from missing information because there's huge vast quantities of information, and they can roughly say the same thing in in different versions of different old and texts. A lot of the times, you will get a myth that is very sketchy in detail, yeah. and we'll fill in those details. Exactly. But we won't do what you did there, where you give it a, a, an original ending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we'll, we'll, we will color within the lines, yeah. for the most part. Whereas you don't need to do that with folktales. So that's why I'm like. No, I I will I will take 
uh, take you up on saying original ending because I don't actually think there is. Well, you know, origin. you're right. Original, <laughs> original is not is not the word. But yeah. like, that's that's an ending that you that is an invented ending that you came up with. Sure, sure. Um, so that's where my hesitation about including folk tales under the kind of umbrella of candlelight tales comes Fair. in. And like, it's not that they're they're bad stories. It's not that there's anything wrong with folk tales. It's just that to me they're a different thing. True. And they're a different kettle of fish. And so I'd like to hear from our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this chat, by the way. Uh, you know, yeah. This is one that is actually genuinely, as Aaron said, it's great to hear from people. Mm. And like, I know I don't really contact people online because they're just voices on my phone. Um, and it feels weird to contact them as if I knew them. But like, it's actually really nice for us to hear back from you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. what you liked and what you didn't like. Uh, you know, comments, criticism, any of that stuff, because it's it kind of also gives us a feeling that we're not just talking to ourselves. No, and that's why we're we're keeping on doing this because we've, we've gotten uh, so many uh, people come up to us and saying saying it in, at gigs as well as uh, the odd email here and and, and uh, stuff there. So online, so thank you for all, for all those. I, I'd like to invite you more to get involved with this debate about whether or not you'd like to hear us tell more folk tales because there's rakes of them and I do love them I do have a very fondness for them I do find myths I'm more drawn to the stronger archetypes and the stuff we talked about today as well but maybe people just want to sit back and relax and yeah. you know explore what what kind of you know is evoked out of the, the, the little folk tales that makes the changeling story make sense in the culture where you know, there was a lot of messed up stuff with kids being left in forests because they thought they, you know, mm-hmm. were a fairy, even though they were just a little bit autistic, maybe. And when when we didn't understand uh, medical procedures fully, these folk tales t- stood in place to keep su- superstitions alive, to m- maybe uneducate people. Uh, but well, they you have know, a dark history in Ireland in terms of, yeah, you know, horrific acts of child abuse. But like, yeah, in terms of coming in as an explanation that was yeah. not a rational one. Uh, whatever rational means but listen yeah let us know what you think um, you can contact us on the social media things which would be um, info at candlelittales.ie if you want to use uh, the email address either no, or Instagram, hash, or Instagram. Uh, candlelittales uh, uh, Facebook Facebook candlelittales Twitter candlelittales <laughs> yeah yeah Twitter word candlelittales so any of those things and if you want to use uh, hashtag candlelittales podcast all one word that'll help us kind of yeah. find you hashtag uh, keeper candlelit and uh, Aaron's you know, really trying to get that one to catch on yeah, it's, it's going to work it's going to work it's going to get there it's going to work, uh, gonna work. Uh, no we've seen some people uh, on, on Twitter so thank you very much for all that this podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. Thank you, Oshin. You're always doing lots of work because the music was also done by Oshin Ryan. And uh, yes, thank you very much for including a little bit extra that I asked for for this one. Now, the story was by moi, uh, but like, you know, the universe really, because there was loads of versions in that yeah, one. Yeah, this story was co-authored by Aaron and his seal friend. <laughs> <laughs> so we would like to extend... A great deal of respect and gratitude to Aaron Seal friend. Yeah, I'll be I'll be swimming and looking out for him yeah, or yeah. her. Does anyone know like how you tell the difference between a male yeah. and female selkie? 
I mean, I call it Selkies now. I think I think we're just going to have to live with the ambiguity, Aaron. I'm okay with it. You you were flirting with a seal. Yeah, I'm <laughs> fine with it. I can, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Whichever kind of seal it was, it's not going to make it less weird, like. No, probably not. Listen, we've lots of stuff going online or on uh, going with our live live shows. Uh, follow us online. Uh, see us on CandleTales.ie. Uh, we're in Wheelands in the end of August. Main space. We're also making it down to. Cork, Kilkenny and the uh, really looking forward to going to the Boyne for the Salmon of Knowledge Festival so that's all coming up very soon and keep in touch and if you want to get in touch online uh, info at candletales.e I think I've said everything um, I think you've said everything you can you can also book us for a Candle of Tales show and most importantly if you like what we're doing you can give us encouragement verbally but you can also give us encouragement you know like financially for the rent and uh, if you would like to do that go to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales and uh, we would we would be very very thankful to you yes and thank you already for our amazing patrons you're absolutely helping loads we're able to buy some equipment we're putting a little nest egg together for uh, to get lights for our live shows which is just great mm-hmm. uh, we're getting another recorder just to record our live shows as well uh, so that's all great listen that's enough guys uh, find us yeah. on Patreon uh, and or don't because even if you don't listen to this free and share it that'll be great yeah, just yeah. thumbs up share and, it uh, tell everyone like, about it uh, enough well I mean tonight. to be honest if they don't like it what, would they still be listening at this point definitely not like yeah no they you like would. it lads you know you like it if you listen just, to this far just sound. share it yeah yeah sound. Just, you, just you know sound. it yeah, yeah, share yeah, it yeah yeah you